welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I am delighted this morning to be joined by Dr. Jared Ball. He is a professor at Morgan University in African American African Diaspora Studies. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We've talked in the past about, you know, the many ways that literature has not only written, you know, the way our societies are scripted into being, you know, racism um, plays a big role, but so does class, you know, so does the ecological challenges we face. After a year pandemic, what do you see for our society, you know, in terms of our social movements and our aspirations for justice? Well, I think, honestly, that they need a lot of work. I think we have got to find ways of getting back into the only real organizing that uh, is best or most effective, which is grassroots, disconnected from nonprofit structures and in person. And obviously with a pandemic, that causes a problem, but it's something that has to be on some level recreated, if not uh, returned to as soon as possible. So as to, I think, reduce the continuing and negative impact of neoliberal interventions into these movements. And when everything is happening online, uh, so many people who are or even now just coming up and learning uh, for the first time or experiencing for the first time any form of activism, it's happening virtually, largely disassociated from in-person, off-the-air, off-the-record uh, kind of organi organizing in the community, organizing that is the only hope uh, that uh, we and humanity actually have. So at this point, I see a lot of, as I mentioned, uh, that neoliberal intervention taking form in uh, sort of intervening punditry uh, that is attached to celebrity, that is attached to funding from any number of neoliberal uh, reactionary structures and formations. Uh, but that particularly in this virtual moment and, and with the push of anything from commercial advertising, uh, marketing, PR to intelligence agency, uh, agencies driving their popularity, a lot of these uh, punditries and commentary and perspectives on the world are, uh, I think, taking too much of a hold on our consciousness and political activity, narrowing that to uh, close to being ineffective at this point. That's where I think uh, we are and uh, what I would like to see more being done uh, in response. I, I think you and I both knew Glenn Ford. And um, one of the things you said in uh, an interview I did with him was like, you know, the capitalism is like this clunker. We don't know when, but we know it's going to break down. You know, it's just like it's being sustained artificially. And in so many ways, uh, this year pandemic has proven how how tragically it affects our lives, right? How uh, many people have been displaced, dispossessed, and are now in dire straits because, you know, the system that we live in recreates inequality, 
makes it even harder to uh, unite workers because we're pitted against each other, competing for jobs, right? My friends in South Africa call it the politics of the stomach. So um, how do we um, not only learn to see the structures that hold empire, you know, and it's, I think, time that we start telling and talking about empire because that's where we live. What what are the structures that hold it together? Clearly, capitalism is one peg of the, the structure, the economic, the social. What, what do you see as the structure holding empire in the 21st century? Looking at it through the lens of, of capital is, is uh, perfectly appropriate and fine, even if it's not all-encompassing. What people are uh, educated and propagandized away from ever learning is that capitalism, particularly in the eyes of its, its most prominent critics, uh, Marx and Engels, was always seen as a social system, uh, not just an economic system, but something that governs, they put it, social relations. Even using the last example uh, you raised, uh, in terms of the, the, the economic system and the crisis, we see that uh, this system, if, if, if you just even look at it through those lens, that lens, perfectly put itself on display. Uh, the consumer base was forced into shutting down. It began to destroy the economy, which in this country, in the United States, is 70% at least consumer base, which necessitated that the elite create out of nothing legislation and public policy, since they are the holders of uh, political power, wealth for themselves. So they created what they called Hope and Cares Act, you know, uh, redistributed uh, one assessment, particularly if you go back uh, to, I believe, the last crisis in 2008, they've redistributed close to $30 trillion back to themselves and created it out of nothing when the consumer base couldn't play its proper role, having been totally destroyed and decimated by these predictable, some might argue, orchestrated and necessary economic crises. So, which, by the way, uh, all indicators based on what happened in 2008 show that we're, we're headed for something much bigger and worse in the near future. But again, there's other ways of looking at it, whether it's settler colonial, whether it's anti-blackness, whether it's whatever people's preferred lens. Uh, the most radical and militant of those lenses all agree, at least in some form, that there is this increasingly decreasing, ever decreasing a number of people with inordinate amounts of wealth and influence uh, who have uh, captured not only the productive capacity of society, but the wealth it produces and the consciousness uh, politically and otherwise of so much of us who produce that wealth. You know, that's why going back to the earlier question, it's, it's such a, a difficult and, and I think complicated moment that as people are suffering at increasing levels, the uh, digital media environment that has been designed intentionally to serve its function as, as a protector against counterinsurgency uh, is doing its job. And it's, it is creating all, all forms of confusion and destabilization um, and uh, allowing for the most ignoble actors and formations to become the spokespeople of any aggrieved community, uh, all leading us back with a similar chorus-like uh, refrain to the Democratic Party as our singular uh, uh, outlet for revolutionary hope. And that's one of the reasons why we're, we're in this devolving spiral 
Uh, and yet when, when those of us raise voices and attempts to break these patterns, a well-funded and organized machine uh, disseminates itself and replicates itself to speak out against those tendencies. So it's, again, a very challenging moment. And as, I'll stop here by saying that the, the, the way I've often been summarizing it lately is that I think the, the sophisticated nature of the problem has risen to the level of, of nowadays we can hear more discussion than ever about the issues that aggrieve so many of us. But it's the way that these discussions are being carried and the, the trajectories, the, the narrowing of political, the, the reactionary, the right-wing imposition of analyses on these problems, that is something that has, uh, I think, continued with great effect to confuse us and, and create um, disunity and dissension among those of us who would be most likely to, to respond and rebel. You know what? It, it's so interesting that you put it that way because in many ways Latin Americans have been experiencing a multitude of invasions by the U.S. empire, you know, and, and as I spoke to a historian, Dr. Abibo Chomsky says, you know, there's always been track one and track two, you know, the military invasion is track one, right, the imposition of, by force of colonization, of creating um, other lands as, you know, the source of extraction. And and we, we see that, that the U.S. is still very willing to use invasion as a, as a tool, you know, of force, right? We see it, we saw it in Iraq, we saw it in Libya, we see it in Afghanistan, and now they're pulling out of Afghanistan, you know, and everybody's celebrating Biden for his, you know, ending the war, the longest war, but no one asks, you know, or questions his involvement during the Obama era in prolonging that war. And of course, the other track is the hearts and mind, and that's where the propaganda that you're speaking of, the defamation and the way this um, infiltra infiltration of our social movements uh, takes place, right? Trying to sway people to the same you know, the status quo, right? Domesticating us to accept this new level of violence, of poverty, of hunger as the new normal. And you're right that, you know, we, we're only going to break out of it when we stop using the same tools that were designed to oppress us. Um, and, and here I think there are many reasons why, you know, this is so difficult. We have been so embedded and domesticated, you know, by the, these very tools, the way the education system is designed, the way our economic is aligned, you know, it all pushes us in a particular direction. But as many, you know, poets in Latin America wrote, you know, forgetting is full of memories. And so what are the memories that keeps bringing us back to being relentless in our resilient struggle against injustice. To your previous point, it is perfectly correct that uh, that two-part process always involves first the physical military violence and suppression of rebellion in a, in a, in a community and the conquering of land. And then after that is the establishment of the psychological warfare apparatus, which for those of us in North America, particularly in the United States specifically, has to, we do have to understand and, and, and be helped along in recreating our understanding of our media environment, which was specifically developed for that purpose of maintaining a counterinsurgency psychological warfare 
uh, a project against the people in this country. And I know that sounds in many cases to some exaggerated or hyperbolic, but this is what uh, I continue to learn more and more myself is what those who constructed this digital media environment were saying explicitly as far back as the 1950s. This is what has to be done in this country to create something that will not just advertise and entertain, but, but which are subsidiary uh, uh, roles behind psychological warfare and the management of consciousness and counterinsurgency to make sure we don't rebel, to make sure that we do not uh, connect ourselves to those stories. So this is why so much effort has been put into reconstructing histories of, in the United States of what uh, genocide has meant for the indigenous and what enslavement has meant for African people here. Uh, just as examples. By the way, the same thing has been targeted to to histories of uh, white labor uh, and white radicalism here in the United States, extending back into Europe, uh, all to have the effect of making sure that if we look to connect to our historical lineages or stories at all, they are all done in very limited and narrow ways, which is why if, if I go to my daughter's classroom, the same strip of, of black history, civil rights leadership is on the wall that was there when I was a child. The same names, the same limited figures with the same narrow views of even those limited and narrow, narrowly selected figures. So it's, it's appropriate that particularly in this month of August, that we more aggressively connect to the tradition of Black August, whose origins come out of specifically the Black liberation struggle, the political prisoner movement, the incarcerated uh, or, or the modern day overtly enslaved among us, who in the 1970s, in connection to a broader international struggle, involved themselves quite directly uh, with figures like Qatari Golden and George Jackson, prominent among them, uh, to engage in uh, a behind-the-walls version of what should be going on out here. Uh, radical engagement with the structures, political and otherwise, that suppress us, uh, all with the design of assuming political power, redistributing wealth, ending the colonial ties that continue to bind us, and so on. So this is a perfect time to engage in the true histories of Black August, which involve fasting, studying, political education, and a specific commemoration of political prisoners like Dr. Matulu Shakur, like Sundiata Akoli, like Leonard Peltier, like David Gilbert, like Asada Shakur and others, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, who continue in this country to try to tell us those stories and who are punished we're even trying to remind us of those stories, uh, specifically, most obviously, and overtly with Mumia Abu-Jamal, just for his journalism, reminding us of the ravages of the state, uh, uh, continues to have him, you know, barely surviving in, in Pennsylvania prisons. So it's those traditions and those stories that we need to return to, the stories of the Black Liberation Army. Uh, and if I can plug my own collective at the Black Power Media uh, Channel, uh, and group. We have a whole bunch of this uh, going back many years, but also very recent uh, interviews and discussions with many of these figures, 
the people who raise up and protect these histories and who have engaged and created these histories. So to your point, and, and, you know, we have to, and those of us who claim to know or want to be engaged have to do even more than whatever we think we are to present these stories and to remind of these stories and to impose these stories even on our communities and in our own media spaces so that they don't not only die, but they can be revived, built upon, organized around. Uh, because again, that is our only hope. You listen to Latin Ways. Our guest is Dr. Jared Ball. To support our work, please visit latinwaysmedia.com and consider becoming a member for as little as $1 per month. Thank you for listening. You know, I, I was reminded as you were speaking of um, the way that erasure has been such a tool for domination. You know, among indigenous cultures, we are all too familiar with how we've been forced to forget our languages, forced to forget our names and take on new names that were acceptable to the colonizers, you know, and, and you see it today in universities, right? Chinese students who come and change their original names to Gary and Fred just to make it easy for the professor. So I, in many ways, I think education for me has a different meaning than this acculturation to empire and domestication to oppression. And, and yet, you know, you're right, we have, we have to start at our roots, like our origin stories, you know, who are we as a people? What, you know, what are the injuries and the wounds we carry collectively and individually, right? Every, every people has had their own history and encounters with empire and, you know, with colonization. And we're still in the process of colonization. You know, they used to call it um, modernization, right? They were coming to the mm. colonies to make the savages modern and civilized. And then in Latin America, they used to call it the industrialization. You know, there were agricultural people and backward people. And now we have to help them industrialize. And of course, um, we, they've made us very industrious to the point of death, right? Many people have been worked to death. So how do we undo that learning, right? How, we, how do we unlearn uh, this ways of obeying, you know, a blind obedience to authorities? I know it sounds vague but and, and, and unfortunately cliche, but I, I can only answer that by saying we have to not only become more politically organized, but we have to join more, uh, engage more with political organizations, uh, uh, engage in political education, pick up those radical traditions, starting with Black August, for example. And it's only there that the, that the, that the answers will come. Uh, it's only through struggle that we learn how to struggle. And I know I'm as an individual still learning how to do that, but, you know, and, and it's why, you know, I engage in a number of different organizations and why I engage uh, in media collectives and trying to produce and practice emancipatory forms of journalism and media making. But uh, it's really, that that's the only way I can conceive of this. We have to eventually use our public work to get people into off uh, the the record private in private not in terms of you know commercial or capital, but private in terms of uh, less likely to be surveilled and more monitored in terms of the 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 objectives of the organizations hosting these gatherings uh, and more likely to achieve the objectives of those organizations uh, and that's really the only way I can see us uh, doing anything of positive value. 
we in Latin America um, have had a history of um, genocide, and a lot of the poets write about those stories. But one of the poets that most moved me was Mario Benedetti, and he writes one poem is called "Burn Your Boats." You know, and he's playing off this <coughs> idea that you know there are many. Um, he calls them grietas, you know, the potholes, right? <laughs> There's so many potholes on our roads, you know, and and yeah. he says, you know, the, the chasm is getting bigger and bigger, and some of us thinks we can jump from, you know, being on the side of authority to being the one that's prostituted, being on the side of, you know, the one that's persecuted, right? And so uh, he says, but be beware, he says, there's all of us here, and all of us are making that chasm larger. So he says, it's time we choose which side will we stand on, you know? And and I think that really, for me anyways, it was an invitation to realizing that there's never going to be an easy path to justice. You know, it hasn't been so far. It hasn't proven to be that case. And so if we want to live in a world where human flourishing is possible and the health of nature is a reality, we're all going to have to take a stand and choose which side we're going to stay on. But along with that, I think there is a need to also celebrate ourselves because despite all the genocide, despite all the violence, we're still here. You know, our communities are still here. Our traditions are still alive and our, our yearning for justice is still very much with us. So, how do you um, keep yourself inspired? How do you move on those days when it feels like, you know, the weight of it is too much? The best way to self-motivate for me has always been to be work involved in organizational or collectives. It's a lot harder to uh, succumb to any of those tendencies when you are looking at, uh, to your left and right and seeing people still struggling. Uh, and working, you know, there's also, of course, the need to just try to work in some balance to enjoy life and family and relax and have some fun. But essentially, that's it. I mean, it's just like as it's with anything. Difficult times are always going to confront us, whether we're engaged in struggle or not. And the best way to overcome that is to be engaged in some sort of collective, whether it's a, a family, tight-knit group of friends, loved ones, or a political organization. All of that is helpful and necessary uh, to, to, to maintaining in any of this, you know. So I would, I would just, again, encourage more of that, that is in terms of uh, uh, looking for comfort and balance and strength in political organizations. When I was a kid, there was uh, this uh, notion of becoming an ancestor, you know, how do you grow up to be a good ancestor? And anyone can cultivate becoming a good ancestor. It, you know, it doesn't just mean growing old because there's a lot of old people who just grow old and get more selfish as they get older. That's not an ancestor. But an ancestor is someone who attempts to create to ask questions, to be constantly self-reflective, who acknowledges when they made a mistake and moves forward. And, and more than that, you know, tells others, right, this is where I made a mistake. And so others can avoid those pitfalls, right? And in many ways, I think we all have uh, ancestors that guide us. Who are uh, some of the people that have become your 
you know, ancestors, your leaders, who do you look for when you are in need of inspiration? Maybe it's a book, maybe it's a person. Um, who do you re resource to when, when you need help? Well, I've already mentioned one. Certainly, George Jackson uh, is is chief among them. Uh, people like Malcolm X or Sophia Bakari, you know, uh, her work continues to inspire me. Uh, but I often just think in terms of the unnamed, unknown collective, uh, the 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 people that just in terms of a of a broad, unheralded mass who have worked in many tireless and revolutionary ways to propel us forward and without being recognized, without uh, uh, being commemorated, but whose work is, is nonetheless uh, equally valuable. I tend to think of, of them uh, all the time. Uh, it, you know, there are obviously individuals and, and organizations that ring out, but it's, it's really those who we don't know and will never know who then and now really make the change that we want. So I think about them a lot. I love that you point that out. You know, there are so many of us that will go nameless in history and, and still we, we need to see the importance of our work, right? Of every one of us holding a little piece of the thread, you know, and weaving it together. So when you look at the whole, you see a beautiful weave of social justice, ecological health, you know, and coexistence with all living beings. Um, how can people access your work? How can people learn more about your projects and become engaged? Well, on all social media, it's at I Mix What I Like. I Mix What I Like or I Mix What I Like dot org. They can also find me and my colleagues at blackpowermedia.org blackpowermedia.org and uh, I invite them to come check us out and engage uh, and maybe even join and build with us uh, and I, I deeply appreciate your time and your work mm. thank you so much for being with us today anytime thank Take you care. bye bye thank you for listening to Latin Waves Latin Waves is an independently produced syndicated radio program made available for free to campus and community radios and also to the world at latinwaysmedia.com. Please visit the website to hear previous shows, hear about upcoming events, and consider becoming a member for as little as $1 per month.